Hey everybody and welcome back to Cash's Corner. As everybody knows, we film Cash's Corner on Wednesday. So we were right in the middle of the latest breaking scandal in government, the President Biden classified document investigation. So Jan, I think that's where we should pick up today. Absolutely, Cash. And I mean, now there's been, I think, four different stashes of documents found. Maybe the, five, I can't keep something up. Something we really have to talk about is, you know, I don't, it seems like an awful coincidence for them to all be found at about the same time, right? This is very important. The other thing I want to talk about is the, you know, the stripping of the committee assignments of Eric Swalwell. Mm. And Kevin McCarthy had some pointed things to say about that, and I think we should discuss it. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should set the stage first, and the perfect way to do that is to go and play for our audience the clip from President Biden on 60 Minutes from last year. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago. What did you think to yourself, looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. It's a pretty stunning turn of events. And if we were to apply that same standard that President Biden applied to Trump, then President Biden now is the most reckless president and careless president in US history when it comes to the handling of classified information. So it's a pretty stunning turn of events. Well, a few data points to add, right? One is that I understand some of these documents have been out like six plus years. Mm -hmm. um, we know as a fact that some of them have been moved, uh, probably illegally um, because of their classified nature. Um, and we also know that the FBI basically said it didn't want oversight of the searches. And some of the attorneys that were actually doing the searches didn't have classified clearance for classified documents. This is all very difficult to puzzle out. Yeah, so let's take that in two parts. One from my just a purely intelligence uh, perspective, and the second from the law enforcement DOJ FBI perspective. So, you know, classified intelligence is something I'm very well versed in, been around a lot. Um, especially as a former deputy director of national intel and then later um, the chief of staff at DOD. I had access to essentially every type of classification we have in the United States government because it involved our national security to the highest levels, that being advising the president and the secretary of defense and the director of national intelligence. So six years. It's a federal crime for a classified document to be misplaced for six seconds. So now we're talking about, and the comparisons have all been made publicly, so and our audience is very well versed in what happened in Mar-a-Lago versus what happened in Biden. My focus on the intel is, okay, like you said, it's not like they were in some safe six feet underground for this, the entire six years. And it's now, as we know, it's not one location, it's five, and probably by the time this airs, we'll get to the sixth. Because um, I still believe there's going to be a more and more and more classified documents found. And I think that trend is not going to change. Well, it, I'll just add, and one of them was a garage, which was supposed to be, you know, uh, President Biden said it was under lock and key. Okay. Classified, classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, the, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage, okay? So it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So the but anyway, was in a locked garage. Yes, as well as my Corvette. 
But then there's actual photos or video that show that that certainly wasn't the case at times. Whether it's the Penn Biden Center, which was, I think, the first disclosure, or the garage or the kitchen cabinet, the most important thing to me from an Intel classification perspective is what you touched upon, and that's how did they get to all these different locations? But for me, what's more important than just that is who was initially involved in moving them and where were they first? Did they go from the White House straight to that location? Did they go through multiple hands, which is what I think happened? And you alluded to this, and this is one of the most important things about classified documents. They're classified for a reason. And there's multiple levels of classification, but essentially the definitions are around one common theme, the harm to national security for the United States of America if that information were disclosed unlawfully. And so there's, you know, as we said, secret, top secret, and compartment, and just the various levels of severity. We still don't know the exact types of documents that are out there in the wild that Biden took. There's reporting saying there's top secret compartmented information, which is the highest classification, that there's documents just marked secret, and other documents. Well, we don't know any of what it was. But going back to having your security clearance, which I have had, had one for, I don't know, a dozen years and still have one. Um, if you don't have one, you can't see or touch classified documents. And I don't believe for one second that these documents in the chain of custody, as we say, when they left the vice president's office, Vice President Biden from the Obama administration, to the warehouse, the garage, whatever you want to call it, moved through one singular person's hand. And we haven't even gotten to the investigation of present day. We're just talking about the last six years. So, you know, we always do this on our show and let's just do it now. Let's put a, what if the shoe were on the other foot? What if President Trump, after leaving office, six years down the road, the media was informed that he had classified documents in multiple locations. And one of those documents was found at a house that Don Jr. was living in. Well, there would be a monumental uproar, as they should be, because Hunter Biden doesn't have a security clearance. Let's just start there. He can never get a security clearance because of his background. And I'm not denigrating his background in terms of you know, overcoming drug addiction and things like that, but just due to that fact, you cannot, as a United States citizen, obtain a security clearance. So he doesn't have one. But we'll get into this more because of why it's important, because Hunter Biden was renting that home, which means it was under his name. But we'll come back to that. Who else was around these documents? I know these questions have been asked, but they've not been asked and answered by the DOJ and the FBI. We'll get back to that too in a second. But the last point on the classification issue for me is that multiple different places have now been found, none of which are authorized under the law to store classified information. How many other places are there? That's what's critically important to me and who had access to those places. I know we've seen a lot in the media about there's no visitor logs at the Biden Delaware home. Okay, I don't really care about that if I'm being honest. There's no visitor logs. Me, having been around a sitting president when he leaves the White House and being responsible for the national security mission and advising him, knows that, okay, well, if there's no visitor logs, that's fine. There's like 100 Secret Service agents around at all times, not to mention senior staff. There's no one going in and around and near a president of the United States anywhere he goes without a legion of people knowing. So I think this, there's no visitor log thing. It's a bit of a distraction. There should have been. 
Okay, but there's not, so we can't go back and fix that. But what you can be doing is demanding from the Secret Service, and that's what this committee, this new committee in Congress that we talked about last week should be doing, is getting the Secret Service agents that were there. Okay, who covered them for the last six years, and who was going in and out of there? They'll, it's like putting a witness on the stand in a trial. You bring them in, and you just say, okay, who do you remember? And then the Secret Service documents everything very well, from my experience. So for the most part, the Secret Service agents, like an FBI agent, comes up with a report, especially if there's an issue. Or did the Secret Service have knowledge back then that there were sensitive documents running around in the wild? That's another question that no one's asking. And that leads to the FBI DOJ component in terms of more of the law enforcement perspective that you brought up. And for me, and I've said this before, um, I don't believe for one second that this investigation of the classified documents began in November of 2022, like we're being told now. So what I think happened is there were instances that the DOJ and FBI aren't telling us about, specifically like Russiagate. Remember, we got the whole thing called the EC, the electronic communication. When we finally subpoenaed it and we finally got it, we busted through the DOJ and FBI's lies and their fake timeline as to when the Russiagate investigation began versus when they were telling what Rod Rosenstein and company were telling the world publicly when it began. We shattered that with the documentation. This committee, Jim Jordan's select committee on the weaponization of federal government, should be subpoenaing the DOJ and FBI documentation on when this investigation began. And that is going to be, I think, just as telling as the Russiagate EC electronic communication was, because it will outline the players involved in terms of the FBI, who opened it and when, but more importantly, it will allow that committee to backtrack from that document to say, okay, you say it started in November. Well, who handled it? What agents were t informed about it? Are there confidential human sources involved? How did the FBI and DOJ not know about the existence of these classified documents before the librarians at NARA told them? I don't believe for one second that they weren't the first in on it. And so I think it happened, and we're going to find out a whole new bunch of information as to how long the DOJ and FBI knew, and I think that's going to lead to a whole other investigation for oversight purposes from Congress into corruption. Hey, I, I have another question I think we need to add is, how is it that the FBI declined oversight of the searches, which were done <laughs> by people who don't have classified clearance? I, like, I just don't understand this, Cash. So that's a great question that, that combines the classification uh, security clearance perspective we talked about from an intel standpoint and the FBI DOJ law enforcement sort of where it comes to a head and you're right the DOJ Merrick Garland and Chris Ray at the FBI who went in guns blazing for lack of a better term into Mar-a-Lago after months and months and months of cooperation on that investigation yeah, yeah. big team and camera crew and camera right? crew TV yeah, yeah. and everything mm -hmm. you know vis-a-vis -vis this investigation where Biden his attorneys somehow convinced the FBI and DOJ, by the way, who all work for Biden, because he's the commander in chief, technically. Um, and then they said, no, no, you guys do it on your own. I, I think that to me is the biggest mistake you will see. And I think I'm being kind when I call it a mistake because it's an intentional decision by Merrick Garland and Chris Ray to say, no. We know, as the attorney general, director of the FBI, we know there's an active crime scene in multiple locations. Whether a crime is going to be charged is a separate question. So that's like having someone commit the murder at a location. You know that that was the location the murder was committed at. And then you let the murderer go and collect the evidence and bring it back to the cops. Or his lawyers. Or his lawyers, right? right. It's absurd. 
it, it talk about a trampling of not just the evidence that's there and the chain of custody, but you're letting the, the, the target of the investigation is Joe Biden, possibly Hunter Biden and others, right? These lawyers represent Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and others. They are in charge of the collection of intelligence as, that could and is in our, in our understanding so far classified. And as you pointed out, some of these lawyers don't have an active security clearance. So they, not only can they not look at classified documents, they can't touch them, whether they leaf through them or not. It's illegal. So I think this DOJ and FBI have continued to show us that there are two tiers of, of justice, depending on who the target is. And for, for me, uh, from a law enforcement perspective, that's the most harm that you can do to the institutions that are supposed to be running law enforcement, that is DOJ and FBI. And I think they made that decision because they want to draw a distinction between Trump and Biden based on them as targets and not based on the underlying investigations itself. And to me, that's the politicization of those two departments. People will call it with well, a weaponization, which I think is the next step. And that's what they're doing now by basically allowing the cover-up to happen with their consent by allowing people out there, lawyers and other, who knows what other staffers are out there. They say lawyers, but I'm sure there's other Biden staff, campaign Biden staff out there and whatnot, and Hunter Biden and his, his friends out there who may or may not have had access to these documents this whole time. So I think this is just a disaster. And it is not cured by the appointment of a special counsel. The special, we can get to that, but I don't think the special counsel statutes have been appropriately applied for years by DOJ going back to Mueller. So I think what I've told people is that if you care about reforming the Department of Justice and the FBI and other agencies that have weaponized the federal government, then you will focus less on who the target is, Biden or Trump, and you will focus on how they conduct their investigations against Biden and Trump, and then look at the disparate treatment of those two investigations from a law enforcement perspective. They cannot be treated differently. You're talking about a former president and a president, and both guys who are likely to run for president again against each other in the next election cycle. So how is it that Merrick Garland can go to a podium and now say, well, it was justified that we went in with a full SWAT force into Mar-a-Lago, and it's justified that we are letting President Biden's attorneys conduct their own search of classified documents, who may or may not have the appropriate security clearances. And Jan, even if they did, once they obtained possession of more documents that they keep finding that have classified markings, that in and of itself is proof of a crime because none of those documents are, are going to be found in what we call a SCIF, a Secure Compartmented Information Facility. So to me, Jan, as a former federal prosecutor, all of these lawyers and staffers that are looking at these documents for Biden have just become witnesses in this investigation. Mm. And let's talk about witnesses. Witnesses go where? In the grand jury. I know, because I got a subpoena from the Mar-a-Lago uh, investigations um, into a grand jury. We can't talk about the details of it, but I hope to be able to one day. So we now know that there has been an active grand jury commissioned and sitting to investigate President Trump for the supposed mishandling of classified documents. Where's the Biden grand jury? You and I both know if the Biden grand jury were commissioned and sitting, at least that fact would have leaked to the media. I'm guessing hundreds of witnesses have been in the 
grand jury involving President Trump, and we don't even have a grand jury stood up. And now when it does, and let's see if it gets stood up. Let's see if it even happens, which would be another drastic difference in how these two investigations are being handled. Are they going to call President Biden's attorney? We'll get to their names in a second, which is even more problematic. But are they going to put them in the grand jury room? Are they going to put the campaign staffers in the grand jury room? What about Hunter Biden? What about the logs that show the receipts that show uh, who was renting that house and who was receiving money and where the money was coming from? All of these people are witnesses. And the first thing I would do as a federal prosecutor is put all of them in a grand jury immediately. And then subpoena through the grand jury every document, which we talked about in last week's episode, that the oversight committee should get. This grand jury should be subpoenaing every banking record of Hunter Biden's related to those properties and Joe Biden. Every record showing transactions of companies involved, whether it's the CCP or otherwise, with those properties. And also, they should be subpoenaing the Penn Biden Center for all the documentation there and the University of Delaware. Because as we now know, well, we knew, we've known for some time, the University of Delaware has hundreds of thousands of pages of documentation from Joe Biden. They're essentially commissioning the Joe Biden Library because he has called Delaware home for so long. Nothing wrong with that. But now we know there's multiple locations of classified information. Any DOJ or FBI who is doing things by the book would immediately go there and sift through those hundreds of thousands of pages of documents just on the sheer fact that we have now found classified information in five separate locations belonging to Joe Biden. So you have more than probable cause to issue those subpoenas to go and investigate those documents just to make sure if, if we're to believe this DOJ's line drawn in the sand in the Trump administration that, oh, we just want to safeguard American national security. Okay. Well, you can't do it if you selectively let the target of your investigation, the target of a felony, choose who his inspector Clouseau is going to be. It's literally the trampling of the justice system before us, which is why I keep going back and saying that's what we need to focus on. Because if we're going to fix it, we need to focus on the behavior of the FBI and DOJ and put aside you know, Joe Biden as a target. So many directions I want to take right now, but let's just start with this. So over at Truth Over News on Epoch TV, mm -hmm. uh, Hans Manke has a theory. His theory is that these lawyers specifically were chosen to not have classified uh, access, mm -hmm. right? So that a White House counsel, in this case, it's actually Richard Sauer, who's gotten involved in the process to kind of make it possible for such a situation to happen when normally, of course, the White House wouldn't be involved in personal items. Yeah, it's not just him. There's other lawyers that we should be talking about. Um, Bauer, who is Biden's personal attorney. A quick history check will show you that he used to be a senior partner at Perkins Coie with Sussman and Elias. I mean, that's not a coincidence. It's just not that this same Democratic-run law firm who created and helped mastermind the Russiagate conspiracy and funneled in tens of millions of dollars to do so, had, now has direct access to Joe Biden as the president of the United States through the personal attorney. And then there's that uh, Dana... Dana Remus. Who's that? As I've learned recently, uh, Dana Remus was Obama's personal counsel, who subsequently went to the White House, worked under Joe Biden, and in October of 2022, she leaves and goes to Covington, which has a whole kind of interesting history in itself, won't go into. Um, and at Covington, she becomes 
Joe Biden's counsel, and she's the one that actually discovers the first of the docs, as far as I can understand it, at the Penn Center. So a lot of these coincidences, which I've always said on our show, I don't believe there's any coincidences, especially when it comes to the United States government and how they operate. And this attorney, Dana Remus, side note, um, actually had President Obama officiate her wedding. But put that aside. So now the timeline is what's more concerning to me. So she goes then into the Biden White House, uh, White House Counsel's Office and is one of President Biden's most senior legal advisors. And then in October of 2022, the week before, if we are to believe the FBI and DOJ, is the beginning of the investigation into the Biden classified documents, she goes off into private practice at this monster law firm in DC and is representing Joe Biden from the outside. And I want to get back to that because I have a thing I want to cover with the law, law firms. I don't believe for one second that the law firms um, in Washington, DC, aren't also helping the politicization and the weaponization of the United States government's agencies. We know what Perkins Coie did during Russiagate to the FBI, to the DOJ, to the CIA, and the White House. That's been well documented in our show. I think these law firms are worse off than lobbyists on K Street in Washington, DC. Not all of them, but some of them, when they allow this type of conduct, when they allow the Michael Sussmans of the world and the Mark Eliases of the world to Effectually, effectively perpetrate a large-scale criminal conspiracy. What is this White House counsel doing, leaving to go to one of these law firms, Covington, and then coincidentally saying, oh, look, we found the documents, the classified documents. It's not a coincidence. It goes back to what I was saying at the top of the show. I don't believe for one second that the November 2nd, 2022 date is the beginning of the investigation. This act alone by Dana Remus shows to me that she left the White House for a very specific reason because they knew in October 22, something was coming. And that something was the classified document investigation because in my opinion, they, the Biden White House and his close staff had known for a long time that this was coming. I think it actually circles back to before President Biden's 60-minute interview when he thrashed President Trump for his supposed mishandling of classified information. And what I believe happened is people in Biden's universe um, before that interview probably did some homework themselves and said, okay, as good lawyers do, you prepare for the worst. What's the worst thing that could not just politically be problematic for our sitting President Joe Biden, but legally? Well, what if he had classified documents? He's been out there on a rampage um, against President Trump, his political opponent. So I think that's how it starts. I think someone got smart, got wise, and said, we got to figure this thing out. I don't think they for one second thought it would be where we are today. And we are still without clarity on what's left. What if President Trump had left the White House and six years later they found classified documents related to Russia, China, and Iran. It's a completely different conversation. So it shows the disparate treatment, the two-tier system of justice yet again. And it shows the media, in large part, not all of it, but in large part, to be the continued um, joke that they are. And they carry the water for a political party and personnel that they favor and they will do whatever they can to draw distinctions and say and exonerate President Biden in 
in the press. But there's actually a unique twist happening right now in the media on this. Well, I, I want to touch on something maybe a little bit different here, or maybe this is what you're alluding to, I'm not sure. Um, yes, okay, everything you're saying makes sense, but this is the sitting president of the United States. This is somebody that, you know, the entire, the entire uh, Democratic Party has been deeply behind, right, and all its kind of proxies and so forth. And all of a sudden you have, I mean, some real heavy hitters uh, in the Democratic Party, Congressman Adam Schiff, um, uh, Andy Wiseman. They don't seem to be so positive towards Biden at the moment. I frankly, in memory, haven't seen anything of this nature happen. One of the theories that's out there is, and you've, you've spoken to this as well to, to some extent, is that someone out there is trying to send President Biden a message, which the whole, like, the, this whole realm is you know, deeply bizarre to me, okay, to be, to be perfectly frank. So you know, we are doing the shoes on the, on the other foot test, but there also seems to be something else that's changing here. Yeah, I think, and that's, that's very politically savvy um, of you, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll explain. So you, you mentioned Schiff and Weissman. Schiff, the former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, and Andrew Weissman, former DOJ prosecutor, former deputy to Special Counsel Mueller, and now a talking head on, you know, the fake news. Both of these folks and many others in the media have come out, this is the twist I was talking about, and said not that they're out there championing the DOJ and FBI's investigation and its processes. Rather, they are focused on the target, which is the one thing I said we should never focus on in this matter. They're focused on Joe Biden. And what they're doing is they're almost gutting any defense Joe Biden could put up were he to seek re-election. Now, remember the other coincidence. Joe Biden was supposed to announce his re-election bid in just a week or two. And a week or two before that is the public disclosure of one of the massive, one of the biggest political legal scandals surrounding United States president in modern history. It's not a coincidence. What I believe is happening is there are people in the Democratic Party and the establishment media who don't want Joe Biden to run for re-election, whether it's because they know Hunter Biden has a lot more issues coming. And remember, Hunter Biden's investigation and prosecution is still ongoing. Is he going to be charged? If he's charged, how problematic is that for his, his father? And would his father pardon him for any such crimes that he might be charged with? That's one avenue. Now they have President Biden himself in the legal crosshairs. And if you are a savvy politician, and which I think a lot of the Democrats are, because they they will flip on any target, Democrat or Republican, if it's beneficial to advance the political narrative that they want forward. I don't think for one instance, it's a coincidence that Susan Rice is calling the balls and strikes inside the Biden White House um, in one of the most senior positions there. I don't think it's a coincidence that this story broke the week or two before it was, we, the world was to learn whether or not Joe Biden was going to run for re-election. I don't think it's a coincidence that these lawyers, who are Obama's top lawyers, go into the Biden White House and then leave, and then the very next week there's a disclosure, or there's a disclosure at least internally to the government, that there's a classified documentation investigation going on. And then months later, these same lawyers and their teams are responsible for handling the investigation for the FBI and DOJ, instead of sending in DOJ and FBI agents and lawyers with warrants, 
I think this is all a political narrative done to basically kneecap, sideline Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and a lot of these people, Schiff, Weissman, and the other talking heads you're seeing on media, they're not saying it publicly by name, but what they're saying privately is they don't want Joe Biden to run for reelection. And I believe they're clearing the political wickets for whoever might come next um, because they, they now see what a lot of Americans see is that Joe Biden probably cannot win a reelection and he's a liability for all the things we've talked about on this show. So you think this is something where they're basically saying, well, we can do it the easy way or we can do it the hard way. You think this is actually what is happening? Uh, in a very smart way for them to craft it because look, I don't have any inside knowledge on the political dynamics on the Democratic side, but I'm sure people went over to him and said, hey, are you gonna run for re-election? Those conversations we know were happening. And it was leaked to the media that he was all but certain going to run for re-election. So um, it's just not a coincidence that all these questions are now being raised. These investigations are ongoing. That announcement has been delayed. It's not like President Biden came out and said, eh, I don't care about this, I'm running anyway. It's now been shelved. And they're probably going to him with what you're saying quietly, saying, well, we're, we know all this stuff is out there. And then there's the matter of your son. Do you want all of this? And I think this is where the DOJ will ultimately politicize and weaponize um, this investigation inviting Biden. They won't charge him. And they'll say, hey, look, we'll probably walk your son Hunter into a really nice deep plea agreement where he's not charged with anything serious. And you as a sitting president can commute or pardon him. And then you guys can leave and go live your lives, and we, the Democrats, will put up a candidate we think that can defeat Donald Trump. I do believe that is what many of the people in the media, people in government, and people who used to be in government are saying and doing. Well, and so another way that this could play, you know, is, is actually kind of to subvert this shoe is on, what, what would the, it look like if the shoe were on the other put narrative? Because they, they could say, well, well, look, we're doing the same to, President Biden, as we did to President Trump, look, it's the same. They're gonna say that, but it's our job, I feel, that's why I've been saying it the entire time, to expose how these investigations were handled, because it's not the same. It's not the same at all. Um, and but, but it could become more the same. I guess this is, this, is what I'm, this is what I'm thinking. You're right, it certainly wasn't the same yeah. up to now, right? But it, it could, could become more the same. It could, they'd have yeah. to, you know, and then we, I mean, we haven't even talked about the special counsel on our show yet because it didn't, it happened after we filmed last week. And so I think there's a, I don't think it's gonna become the same because the person they picked for special counsel is one of the most corrupt, in my, in my opinion, DOJ, former DOJ officials there was. That's a huge thing to say. Of course, we're talking about Robert Herr, um, who you've been, had a lot of, you know, personal experience with, but why, why would you say this? Yeah, and I don't make that statement lightly. Look, Robert Herr, to wind the clock back, was what we call the PADAG at DOJ, the Principal Associate Deputy Attorney General. A lot of acronyms, simple definition, he was the number three attorney at the Department of Justice. So the way this seniority structure works, it's the Attorney General, the Deputy Attorney General, the PADAG. So in the Trump administration, when Jeff Sessions was recused from all the Russiagate stuff, Rod Rosenstein was the attorney general for all those matters. The paydag under Rod Rosenstein was Robert Herr. The deputy attorney general handpicks who the paydag is going to be. So Rod Rosenstein, a former U.S. attorney from Maryland, brought in one of his prosecutors from Maryland, Robert Herr, to be the paydag. 
There's nothing corrupt about that. But how they handle the Russiagate investigation is my problem. And we've outlined my problems with Rod Rosenstein and why I think he obstructed that investigation, how we've proven it, and how he lied to Congress. Well, he did all of these things with Robert Hur's consent and advice by his side. That's my problem. Furthermore, Rosenstein and Hur were the ones that authorized the subpoenas to investigate me as senior counsel um, back in 2017 when I was senior counsel of the House Intelligence Committee running that Russiagate investigation when they were in charge of the DOJ. They issued a subpoena for my personal records, my financial records, my phone records, my emails, and any sort of text messaging and call records that, I can, that we've publicly talked about on our show and we, we showed the audience our subpoena. So why, you have to ask yourself, were those two individuals who were running DOJ at the time investigating congressional staffers that were exposing the corruption of Russiagate? You would think they wanted to get on the same page and say, okay, we know the Russiagate investigation started before our watch, let's help clean it up. Furthermore, remember, Rod Rosenstein signed the FISA warrant, the most problematic FISA warrant, the very FISA warrant out of the four that the FISC, the federal court where FISA warrants are served out of, rescinded the Rod Rosenstein FISA warrant. And they rescinded it because of the corruption and the lies that the FBI made to get that warrant because of the faulty information that they put in it and because of the evidence of innocence that they omitted. This was all done under Rosenstein and Hur's watch. We on the House Intelligence Committee subpoenaed the documentation from Rosenstein and Hur, from the DOJ and FBI, and they blockaded that information from coming forward. So now you have this individual, Robert Hur, who's responsible for investigating the sitting president of the United States and how he handled classified information. He doesn't get a hall pass from me. I think he's just another one of these corrupt government gangsters who is out there and was politically chosen by Merrick Garland because they'll be able to say the following headline. A former Trump appointee is the special counsel investigating Joe Biden. That is a political charade in my opinion because there is no way that you would pick Robert Hur to be the special counsel to investigate these matters, you being Merrick Garland, if you didn't have a political angle. And it's not a coincidence that Rod Rosenstein picked himself, Robert Mueller, to be Trump's special counsel. And now the special counsel chosen to investigate Joe Biden is Rod Rosenstein's protege and the man who later became the U.S. attorney for Maryland. That's not a coincidence. It's also not a coincidence you see Rod Rosenstein back on the national media landscape talking about anything. He retired two years ago and he's now in the media specifically addressing the Biden investigation and the, uh, its handling by the new special counsel. I think that's done for a reason, because just like in the Russiagate days, I think they're already setting the landscape for the cover-up that, that they need to have happen so their own um, problematic handling of prior investigations is not exposed. So that's why I have no faith in this uh, new special counsel, and I just don't see it becoming an actual investigation, and we've already seen how they're handling it. They're not. The FBI and DOJ aren't investigating this matter. No subpoenas have gone out. Nothing. And so I don't have any faith in this new special counsel, and uh, the only place we are going to get some actual oversight is the new Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. And as I called for last week, um, I think Robert Hirsch should be the first witness subpoenaed by Jim Jordan and this new committee, along with the 
underlying documents that opened this investigation and also put Robert Hur under oath and ask him why he authorized the fraudulent FISA warrant and why he authorized the investigation of senior congressional staffers who were investigating the corruption under his DOJ and FBI watch. It's remarkable how much new information keeps coming out. And there might be before we actually, you know, uh, premiere on, on Friday, there might even be new information. But there's one thing I wanted to mention to add, and that's this memo that was back, actually found by Miranda Devine related to this $49,910 uh, that was basically the amount of money that uh, uh, Hunter Biden was paying Joe Biden uh, for rent, for monthly rent. First of all, that's a number for monthly rent. That's Oof. pretty wild, right? But at the same time, so this is also the amount that is the same number that's related to this business venture that uh, the Biden family had with CEFC, that's China Energy, mm -hmm. right? This is one of these areas that, that came out from the Hunter Biden laptop and, and actually the specific deal that Tony Bobulinski was talking about when he was citing the big guy. So again, you always say there's no coincidences, what does this number have, what does this number say at all? Because a lot of people are talking about it. There are no coincidences. And I always say, follow the money, which is why we called for the subpoenaing of the banking records of not just the law firms, but everyone involved in this matter is no coincidence. The exact amount to the dollar. It's not like they rounded up or down. It's literally that amount. So the question has to be asked, uh, and I guess it won't be asked by DOJ or FBI, but by the oversight committee, um, why, <laughs> you know, are they going to subpoena Hunter Biden and bring him in and say, who's responsible for this money? Where did it come from? Why did you pay your dad that much in rent? What are the ties to the, to the company that Tony Bobulinski talked about? And then they could probably bring in Tony again and, and talk about those matters. But it's another problem that directly ties this family to the CCP, which has been a matter that's been going on for years and under investigation, and we don't know the results of it. So um, the best way, the easiest way, just subpoena the documents and the banking records. And then I think the biggest thing that no one's really talking about in relation to this issue is President Biden's been very public about putting his tax returns out there. Well, if his son was paying him 50 grand a month, and my math is terrible, but that's a lot of money a year, north of half a million dollars, why didn't President Biden declare that as rental income in his tax returns? He's always gone out there and attacked President Trump for his tax returns and not being disclosed. Well, it's actually a crime to fail to report that type of income on your tax returns. So is anyone gonna be looking at that? To me, that's the angle from a law enforcement perspective, from an IRS treasury perspective, you know, how did, how did anyone miss that and why? It's a whole nother investigation. Some other committee, maybe the Ways and Means Committee um, in Congress can take a look at it. It's uh, just one quick comment. It's amazing to me how much money people in DC can make. Like I understand, like just <laughs> yeah. the, the, the yeah. Biden Penn Center, I think was paying uh, President Biden a million dollars a year. For, I, I don't know exactly what, but, but it's, it's I mean, and this is, these are just sort of single revenue streams. It's kind of, kind of mind boggling. As promised at the beginning of the episode, I did want to touch on this, uh, you know, uh, House Speaker McCarthy did basically recently speak to why he stripped Congressman Eric Swalwell of all committee assignments. And he talks about in this clip, I'm going to get us to roll this clip too, 
Um, he says, you know, if you had seen the FBI briefing on this situation, you would be doing what I did. If you got the briefing I got from the FBI, you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee. And you're going to tell me other Democrats couldn't fill that slot? He cannot get a security clearance in the private sector. What do you make of this? Yeah, look, I think my audience, our audience knows that um, Eric Swalwell, Adam Schiff, and I have had a history going back years for when I was leading the Russiagate investigation and when they were on the Intel Committee opposing every investigative step we took. So I just want to remind everyone of that before I give my opinion on it. I think it's the absolute right move, knowing Kevin McCarthy, you know, when I was a senior staffer in Congress through this day, uh, the new Speaker of the House was briefed by the FBI, which is the right step to take before you expel someone from the Intelligence Committee. And what he went on and told the world was, what I saw was not just like a little bit of a problem, or that it required maybe a censorship or suspension or transfer to another committee or something. It was so much of a problem that he just said, you're out. So now the you know, former senior investigator from Congress wants to know what was in that brief. But I think more importantly, to fix a narrative that Swalwell and the mainstream media has put out there that he, Swalwell, did nothing wrong because he, Swalwell, has been out there saying for some reason the FBI exonerated him, which I don't understand how that translates into what we're talking about today. It's a bit of a red herring in my opinion. I don't care if the FBI exonerated you of a crime because they couldn't produce the evidence to charge you. What's in that briefing that the speaker is talking about? That should be made public. So that's what I'm calling for um, in relation to this uh, topic here is that these committees in Congress, the Intelligence Committees and others, can make a bulk of that information public. And hopefully Speaker McCarthy takes the next step so he's not accused of just hiding. Because we know what will happen. Swalwell and Schiff and company will go out there and lie, as they've done from Russiagate on, about the contents of what's in it because they'll know it will never get out. I think he should sort of beat them to the punch and say, okay, we're gonna put out you know, 95% of the information, some of it's too sensitive, we'll just black it out. And I think that would be a win for transparency purposes, but it will also show the American people that Speaker McCarthy's decision was not done for political purposes or political retribution. Because I don't, knowing, knowing Kevin the way I know him, I don't think he goes out to the world and makes a statement as a Speaker of the House like the clip we played uh, without there being a serious, serious um, intel risk um, legal risk and other risk of Swalwell continuing to be on the Intel Committee. So it was a very telling statement, and um, I trust his judgment on it. But for me, as I've always said in oversight matters, let's get the documents out to the people so they can see them themselves. Well, Cash, I think it's time for a shout out. It is, Jan, and this week's shout out goes to Beth Stoller. Thanks so much for your comments on our board on Cash's Corner, and thanks so much for everybody who leaves a comment and questions. We try to get to every single one of them. And more importantly, thank you all who join us on our live chat every Friday night at 8 p.m. We've been having a lot of fun on there, and we try to answer your questions and queries in real time. So please join us this Friday night at 8 p.m. for our live chat and new episode of Cash's Corner. And of course, as always, we'll see you next week on Cash's Corner.